0: Welcome to Capital Close-Up on WKXL AM and FM, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and we're podcast wherever it is that you find your podcasts. WKXL gave away four grandstand tickets to the NASCAR Ambetter 301 race. Do you know who won? Well, you can find out at WKXL's Facebook page at facebook.com slash radio or simply at nhtalkradio.com. Well, this is being broadcast on July 4th, Independence Day in the United States, and I'm recording this on July 2nd, 2022. On this day in 1862, the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg was fully engaged, was a battle that marked the most catastrophic loss of lives in a contest that had torn apart our nation, threatening fragmentation, and certainly an example of supreme disunity. They were challenging times, and so are these as we celebrate American independence. Today, we have on our plate tribalism and division, government dysfunction, an attempted coup by an unhinged and vengeful president of the United States, a war overseas that marks the return of naked aggression by a great power. We have a global pandemic that isn't over, an existential climate crisis. I'm sorry for the litany, but I cannot offer any panacea any particularly lofty words of my own to soothe the anxieties of my listeners. But I would like to offer what I can in words and music to refresh hope in America and the American ideal. As many of you know, I'm a former United States Congressman. I'm proud of my service. I'm grateful to those I served and enriched by the opportunity to help move the country forward at a time that seems more and more like the afterglow of a great fireworks display. More recently on January 6th, 2021, the day of the attack on the Capitol, which was so terrifying for so many and painful for me. As I watched the sacred chamber in which I served attacked and defiled my former colleagues running for their lives, I started thinking, believe it or not, about this broadcast and what I would say when it came time to speak on the occasion of the celebration of American independence, a day when traditionally patriotism and flags and parades and cookouts and barbecue, a day off mark A time in summer, a time to gather, a time to feel good about these great United States. A nation that has the highest ideals, and while we may not always live up to them, we continually strive to do so. During the COVID pandemic, at the height of the pandemic, when we were all shut in our houses, in our apartments, and wherever it was we were living. Uh, And we were led by a president who seemed not to care about truth or medicine or science or the real health of the population, but only in sewing divisions. I wrote the following song called Being American. And uh, we'll start with that and then we'll return to take us back to the beginnings of the country, I'm getting tired of feeling lonely. I'm getting sick of being strong. My cupboard's bare, but for baloney. My dog stays asleep all day long My job was sweeping out the hallways But nobody comes there anymore I suppose I'll get called back there someday Meanwhile, I'm just trying to get along My sister Called me on my cell phone just before she ran out of gas. She asked me to watch her kids a while, cause they didn't pay the rent this month or last. And I'm getting tired of feeling lonely, I'm getting sick of being strong. My cupboards bare but for baloney And my dog stays asleep all day long Well, I watched the president on TV He told me the whole thing was a hoax He said it would soon all be over then he went off golfing at the coast i suppose he's got better information i suppose he's got experts he can call i suppose he would make up phony stories just to get elected in the fall and I'm getting tired of feeling lonely. I'm getting sick of being strong. My cupboard is bare, but for baloney. And my dog stays asleep all day long. Guess I'll go down to the pantry. They say today's macaroni and cheese. Well, I've still got a little unemployment, and they haven't figured to cut off my TV. I count myself one good American, born and raised in the great land of the free, but I have. Trouble understanding what being American means for me. Oh, I I have trouble understanding what being American means for me. That was Being American, an original tune played in my living room and offered to you as kind of a starting point for rekindling hope in what it means to be an American. So I want to start with a little known but really important seminal address or speech or publication from the beginnings of our country. George Washington's farewell address in 1796 was really a prophetic letter from a parting friend to his fellow citizens about the forces he feared could destroy our democracy, including hyperpartisanship. partisanship uh, This uh, address, this message has been, it was more widely reprinted than the Declaration of Independence. It's now almost forgotten, but its message is really important. At the end of his second term, Washington surprised America by publishing his farewell message in a newspaper and refusing to stand for another term. He called for unity among citizens by birth or choice. He advocated moderation. He defended religious pluralism. He proposed a foreign policy of independence, not isolation, and proposed that education is essential to democracy. He established the precedent. For the peaceful transfer of power. Here's some of what he said in expressing his hope. His hope was that your union and brotherly affection may be perpetual, that the free constitution, which is the work of your hands, may be sacredly maintained, that its administration in every department may be stamped with wisdom and virtue, then in fine, the happiness of the people of these states under the auspices of liberty may be made complete by so careful a preservation and so prudent a blessing a use may be made complete by so careful a preservation and so prudent a use of this blessing, as it will acquire to them the glory of recommending it to the applause, the affection and adoption of every nation which is yet a stranger to it. Interwoven as is the love of love of liberty with every ligament of your hearts, no recommendation of mine is necessary to fortify or confirm the attachment of citizens to their government. The unity of government which constitutes you one people is also now dear to you, it is justly so, for it is a main pillar in the edifice of your real independence, the support of your tranquility at home, your peace abroad, of your safety, of your prosperity, of that very liberty which you so highly prize, but as it is easy to foresee that from different causes and from different quarters, much pains will be taken, many artifices employed to weaken in your minds, the conviction of this truth, as this is the point in your political fortress, against which the batteries of internal and external enemies will be most constantly and actively, though often covertly and insidiously directed, it is of infinite moment that you should properly estimate the immense value of your national union to your collective and individual happiness, that you should cherish a cordial, habitual, and immovable attachment to it, accustoming yourselves to think and speak of it as the palladium of your political safety." and prosperity, watching for its preservation with jealous anxiety, discountenancing whatever may suggest even a suspicion that it can in any event be abandoned, and indignantly frowning upon the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest, or to enfeeble the sacred ties, which now link together the various parts. For this you have every inducement of sympathy and interest. Citizens by birth or choice of a common country, that country has a right to concentrate your affections. The name of American which belongs to you in your national capacity must always exalt the just pride of patriotism, more than any appellation derived from local discriminations. With slight shades of difference, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have in a common cause fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common dangers, sufferings, and success. When Washington spoke of the dangers from within, after he spoke of the fractious dangers of political parties taking roots to drive the country apart. He spoke this way. I have already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state with particular reference to the founding of them on geographical discriminations. Let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally. This spirit, unfortunately, is inseparable from our nature, having its root in the strongest passions of the human mind. It exists under different shapes in all governments, more or less stifled, controlled, or repressed. But in those of the popular form, it is seen in its greatest rankness and is truly their worst enemy. The alternate domination of one faction over another sharpened by the spirit of revenge, natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities is itself a frightful despotism. But this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism, the disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual. And sooner or later, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. How prescient was Washington to see the danger from within? Sooner or later, he said, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. He went on to say, without looking forward to an extremity of this kind, which nevertheless ought not to be entirely out of sight, The common and continual mischiefs of the spirit of party are sufficient to make it the interest and duty of a wise people to discourage and refrain it. It serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against another, foments occasionally riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which find a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. Thus, the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and will of another. There is an opinion that parties in free countries are useful checks upon the administration of the government and serve to keep alive the spirit of liberty. This within certain limits is probably true. And in governments of a monarchical caste, patriotism may look with indulgence, if not with favor upon the spirit of party. But in those of the popular character in governments purely elective, it is a spirit not to be encouraged from their natural tendency. It is certain there will always be enough of that spirit for every salutary purpose. And there being constant danger of excess The effort ought to be by force of public opinion to mitigate and assuage it, a fire not to be quenched. It demands a uniform vigilance to prevent its bursting into a flame, lest instead of warming, it should consume. Imagine Washington having served two terms as president. He had wanted to retire after his first term, but the country was so fractious, so beset, so unnerved, so ununited at the time when a great war of revolution uh, had been necessary to release us from the bonds of monarchical rule. Although in truth, the colonists had tried as best they could to make nice with George III. In 1775, they sent him a plea, a petition to, to cut it out, stand back, stop doing what you're doing, stop taking away our freedom, stop tacking, uh, taxing us disproportionately, stop the troops from entering our houses without cause. Stop. Uh, the petition made its way by sea to Parliament, who didn't pay much attention to it, and to George III who simply took it as an act of rebellion and then declared the colonists in rebellion leading to the declaration of independence on July 4 1776 which we celebrate today but imagine Washington's prescience in talking about what actually happened in this country with the presidency of Donald Trump absolutely a a a continual mischief of the spirit of party a a a a a rise of someone who disregarded the constitution who was in thrall of a foreign power and opened the door to foreign influence and corruption who incited the animosity which led to riot and insurrection. Well, it's July 4th and we are sharing songs and stories and words from our forebears about America, about our union, about our unity, about the dangers from without and the dangers from within. And uh there's an interesting speech that was given in 1838 by a young Abraham Lincoln. 42 years after George Washington's farewell message, Lincoln gave an address before the Young Men's Lyceum of Springfield, Illinois, and the subject was the perpetuation of our political institutions. By then, The American experiment was, it seemed firmly established, although the contest between the slave states and the free states, the efforts at compromise, the building of a nation on the backs of a system of white supremacy had caused what would clearly, clearly uh, Seemed then and would erupt into inseparable opposition by different factions in America. Uh, Lincoln spoke uh, after um, various mobs had done various awful things in places around uh, the country. And he was disturbed about what was happening in terms of the rule of law, which he saw as um, the great basis for our government. And so he spoke at the Lyceum and spoke this way. In the great journal of things happening under the sun, we, the American people, find our account running under date of the 19th century of the Christian era. We find ourselves in the peaceful possession of the fairest portion of the earth as regards extent of territory, fertility of soil and salubrity of climate. We find ourselves under the government of a system of political institutions, conducing more essentially to the ends of civil and religious liberty than any of which the history of former times tell us. We, when mounting the stage of existence, found ourselves the legal inheritors of these fundamental blessings. We toiled not in the acquirement or established of them, they are a legacy bequeathed us by a once hardy, brave, and patriotic, but now lamented and departed race of ancestors. Theirs was the task, and nobly they performed it, to possess themselves and through themselves us of this goodly land, and to uprear upon its hills and its valleys a political edifice of liberty and equal rights, Tis ours only to transmit these, the former, unprofaned by the foot of an invader, the latter undecayed by the lapse of time and untorn by usurpation to the latest generation that fate shall permit the world to know. This task of gratitude to our fathers, justice to ourselves, duty to posterity, and love for our species in general, all imperatively require us faithfully to perform. How then shall we perform it? At what point shall we expect the approach of danger? By what means shall we fortify against it? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and crush us at a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined with all the treasure of the earth, our own excepted, in their military chest, with a Bonaparte for a commander, could not by force. Take a drink from the Ohio or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a trial of a thousand years. At what point, then, is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. But it may be asked, why suppose danger to our political institu- institutions? Have we not preserved them for more than 50 years? And why may we not for 50 times as long? We hope there is no sufficient reason. We hope all dangers may be overcome. But to conclude that no danger may ever arise would itself be extremely dangerous. There are now and will hereafter be many causes, dangerous in their tendency, which have not existed heretofore and which are not too insignificant to merit attention. That our government should have been maintained in its original form from its establishment until now is not much to be wondered at. It had many props to support it through that period, which now are decayed and crumbled away. Through that period, it was felt by all to be an undecided experiment. Now it is understood to be a successful one. Then all that sought celebrity and fame and distinction expected to find them in the success of that experiment. Their all was staked upon it. Their destiny was inseparably linked with it. Their ambition aspired to display before an admiring world, a practical demonstration of the truth of a proposition which had hitherto been considered at best no better than problematical, namely the capability of a people to govern themselves. If they succeeded, they were to be immortalized. Their names were to be transferred to counties and cities and rivers and mountains and to be revered and sung and toasted through all time. If they failed, they were to be called knaves and fools and fanatics for a fleeting hour, then to sink and be forgotten. They succeeded The experiment is successful and thousands have won their deathless names in making it so. But the game is caught and I believe it is true that with the catching, end the pleasures of the chase. This field of glory is harvested, and the crop is already appropriated. But new reapers will arise, and they too will seek a field. It is to deny what the history of the world tells us is true, to suppose that men of ambition and talents will not continue to spring up amongst us. And when they do, they will as naturally seek the gratification of their ruling passion, as others have so done before them. The question then is Can that gratification be found in supporting and maintaining an edifice that has been erected by others? Most certainly it cannot. Many great and good men, sufficiently qualified for any task they should undertake, may ever be found, whose ambition would inspire to nothing beyond a seat in Congress, a gubernatorial or a presidential chair. But such belong not to the family of the lion or the tribe of the eagle. What? Think you these places would satisfy an Alexander, a Caesar, or a Napoleon? Never. Towering genius disdains a beaten path. It seeks regions hitherto unexplores. It sees no distinction in adding story to story upon the monuments of fame erected to the memory of others. It denies that it is glory enough to serve under any chief. It scorns to tread the footsteps of any predecessor, however illustrious. It thirsts and burns for distinction, and if possible, it will have it, whether at the expense of emancipating slaves or enslaving free men. Is it unreasonable then to expect that some man possessed of the loftiest genius, Coupled with ambition sufficient to push it to its utmost stretch, will at some time spring up among us. And when such a one does, it will require the people to be united with each other, attached to the government and laws, and generally intelligent to successfully frustrate his designs distinction will be his paramount object. And although he would as willingly perhaps more so acquire it by doing good as harm, yet that opportunity being passed, and nothing left to be done in the way of building up, he would set boldly to the task of pulling down. Here then is a probable case, highly dangerous, and such a one as could not have well existed before. And Lincoln went on, to speak more about the dangers we faced as a nation, some 50 years after the, the founding of the nation, but still an experiment, still concerned about the fractious possibility of a tyrant, of somebody from within who didn't care for the constitution, who didn't care for the rule of law, who fell in the sway of foreign corruption and influence, who was only out for his own gain and not for serving the people. And lo and behold, in the 21st century, unfortunately, it came to pass. But meanwhile, as time went on in the 19th century and the great civil war was fought, in the middle of the civil war, Lincoln, now president, gathered with a few others, at the dedication of the Soldiers National Cemetery at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania on November 19, 1863. He famously wrote on the back of an envelope, a short address, which has become well known. He said, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent, a new nation conceived in Liberty and dedicated to the proposition We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot concentrate. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poorer power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us Now I'd like to simply offer a song I wrote after a visit to Gettysburg, where I felt the spirits of those who had fought there. It's aptly titled Gettysburg. seen them all before underneath the photographs of the Civil War so deep are the scars those faces have all worn you can smell the dust and fear and the spirits torn Generals stand apart, as they always will. The sound of distant battle echoes in the hills. And in the fading light of strategy gone astray, those generals will live to plan another day. Ring down! No battle hymns are sung Another day at war Another no one's won Closing minutes of our show today, I want to move to the words of the president of another political party offering his thoughts on unity for our nation. Uh, In a speech in New York City, in New York Harbor, President Ronald Reagan on July 4th, 1986, offered words to the American people. And while I don't agree with Ronald Reagan's policies, he was loved and revered by many. And perhaps his words will give some pause to those who would now see violence and corruption as the way to move the country forward. He said, all through our history, our presidents and leaders have spoken of national unity and warned us that the real obstacle to moving forward the boundaries of freedom, the only permanent danger to the hope that is America comes from within. It is easy enough to dismiss this as a kind of familiar exhortation. Yet the truth is that even two of our greatest founding fathers, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson once learned this lesson late in life. They'd worked so closely together in Philadelphia for independence. But once that was gained and a government was formed, something called partisan politics began to get in the way. After a bitter and divisive campaign, Jefferson defeated Adams for the presidency in 1800. And the night before Jefferson's inauguration, Adams slipped away to Boston, disappointed, brokenhearted, and bitter. For years, their estrangement lasted. What When both had retired, Jefferson at 68 to Monticello and Adams at 76 to Quincy, they began through their letters to speak again to each other. And these two great patriarchs spoke for the country that they had helped to found and loved so deeply. It carries me back, Jefferson wrote about correspondence with his co-signer of the Declaration of Independence, to the times when beset with difficulties and dangers, we were fellow laborers in the same cause, struggling for what is most valuable to man, his right to self-government, laboring always at the same oar with some wave ever ahead, threatening to overwhelm us, and yet passing harmless. We rode through the storm with heart and hand. It was their last gift to us, this lesson in brotherhood, tolerance for, for each other, this insight into America's strength as a nation, and when both died on the same day within hours of each other, that date was July 4th, 50 years exactly after that first gift to us, the Declaration of Independence. My fellow Americans, it falls to us to keep faith with them and all the great Americans of our past. Believe me, if there's one impression I carry with me after the privilege of holding for five and a half years the office held by Adams and Jefferson and Lincoln, it is this, that the things that unite us, America's past of which we're so proud, our hopes and aspirations for the future of the world and this much-loved country, these things far outweigh little divides us. And so tonight, we reaffirm that Jew and Gentile, we are one nation under God, that black and white, we are one nation indivisible. That Republican and Democrat, we are all Americans. Tonight, with heart and hand, through whatever trial and travail, we pledge ourselves to each other, and to the cause of human freedom, the cause that has given light to this land, and hope to the world. So my friends, it's July Fourth, And we rightly celebrate American independence from tyranny, from monarchical rule. We've heard the words of great Americans who have been chosen to lead us through times of challenge and travail and disunity. And so my message for today, for this Independence Day, is unity, is finding a way to work through that which divides us and see that which binds us as the great strength of this country, whose highest ideals are those to which we aspire and hope that all nations will. We'll be back next week with more Capital Close-Up. The fire on the mountain burning out of control the skies set ablaze in orange red and gold the temperature's rising the wind is blowing hot we gotta turn Turn this shit around before we run the ground we gotta turn this this shit around Shore, the white sand beach washed away some more. The fish are swimming deeper to the ocean floor. We gotta turn this shit around before we run ground. We gotta turn this shit around before we run ground. No time for singing the same old song. No use saying. The science is wrong, you can't change the facts, the facts are too strong, we gotta turn this ship around, before we run aground, we gotta turn this ship around. In the jungle. You can hear it on the street. It's the sound of marching to a changing beat. You can hear it in the wind moaning low and sweet. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship